This is the A. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. And of course, I had to sneeze. This, <laughs> this is the A where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! As always, we are sponsored by Central Works New Play Theater, headed up by Gary Graves and Jan Zleitberg. Central Works reinventing theater one play at a time. We always thank Central Works for sponsoring us and our wonderful, um, what is her title? I keep on Mallory. Consulting producer. Consulting producer, Mallory Samara. Thank you so much. And we have a wonderful guest, Elizabeth Curtis, fantastic singer, actress. Um, We're going to hear what else she does, but uh, it was just a pleasure working with you on stage. Liz, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm so happy you guys asked me to come do this. This is really exciting. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you've been fantastic. And I've been looking at your uh, your resume a bit. You've worked at, uh, of course, Town Hall Theater, but also Broadway by the Bay, Ray of Light Theater. I'm interested to hear, you know, because I've worked with Ray of Light too, Boxcar Theater, the Tri-Valley Repertory Theater, the Berkeley Playhouse, and bunch, bunch, bunches of others. So you've been really, really busy. And you're an amazing singer. I don't know if I've told you this, but, you know, you... You are just fantastic. Thank you. You're too nice. Too nice to me. <laughs> As I begin uh, all of our uh, podcasts, how's your weekend, Norman? I mean, how's your week, Norman? My weekend. My weekend. Um, my week. I guess my week was okay. This um, last night we walked from my place all the way down to the lake, um, just to take a little stroll. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we picked up some food, and we went and we sat by the lake. And we watched, I don't know if you've noticed today, the, uh, the clouds, they're just these wispy clouds out in the sky. So there were the clouds over the lake. There were a couple of guys with cameras set up and we're like, okay, well, you know, yeah, it's pretty, it was pretty, but what's the big deal? As the sun set, the clouds just became pink and it was like a phoenix or something. They just lit up like these phoenix wings. Wow, you should have took, took a picture of it. Uh, Mara did get a picture of it. I'll see if I can pull it up and I'll and I'll share it. But um, yeah, that was and it was so so. I mean, it was beautiful. It was romantic, um, but in that way that I, I've always loved this in our relationship. I if somebody said you know I like to take long walks on the beach or something like that, I'd be like, uh, okay, I'm not your guy. I don't think I'm your guy. But the fact is, when you find yourself in that moment, it is so beautiful and so non-manufactured. So we had a beautiful dinner, a beautiful walk, and then a beautiful walk back. Yeah, without uh, without a mask, right? I be, uh, uh, no, we were masked. We okay. were masked, except for what we were eating. We were masked. No, I'm I'm sticking with until I feel like there needs to be basically that sort of announcement of, you know, we've hit herd immunity or whatever they want to officially label it. Until then, I'm going to assume that I'm one of the lucky ones who is vaccinated and that I'm still surrounded by people who aren't. I don't want to carry something that I might just pass on. I don't want to encourage people to go back to wandering around as if we aren't in the middle of a crisis. We are. It's still it's still happening. We Liz, may see the light at the end of the tunnel, but it's yeah. still happening. Liz, how do you feel? I mean, I uh, I, I actually been just uh, biting at the bit to take the mask off, and I've even, even had strange dreams about it. And so mm. I've actually <laughs> walked around without the mask. But of course, when I'm in, let's say the BART or inside, I do put the mask on. But I mean, how do you feel? And how have you been handling, you know, during, how have you been fun- functioning during COVID times? I mean, to be quite honest, um, I surprisingly had some health issues last year, right before the pandemic. So I was recovering from a concussion um, before the pandemic started. I was actually felt like I was in my own pandemic already. So when it happened, I think it was 
I mean, still traumatizing, obviously, but I'd already been so separated from the world. Um, so maybe it was less shocking for me. Um, but yeah, it was really hard because I had, was just starting to feel better and to get healed. And then that happened. Um, I feel like I'm probably with Norman G on this one. I'm probably going to be wearing the mask for a long, long time. Um, just again, just because I I feel similarly until I know that we're really safe or that people are really safe to do so. And even if we were told we were safe, I think it's just a matter of habit now. And I think, honestly, I hope that masks become more of a, like an accepted thing in society. It's been accepted yes. in cultures. And I think it makes a huge difference. Yeah, you, know, you know, I see it in the Asian community where they just yeah. wear masks, you know, long before COVID-19. So mm -hmm. you're right. So I'm hoping- well, You would think the last um, flu season would have taught us. I mean, it's like, wow. <laughs> flu season basically eradicated i'm like okay that that's a good reason if no other reason exactly for me i think i hope we at least adapt it for at least the the cold seasons and the cold weather i think it would make a huge difference um i feel like at least i'm probably going to implement it into my personal life now um you know plus i got cute masks that i could wear all the time why not <laughs> <laughs> yeah the fashionable mask I, I i bought quite a few of the fashionable masks and That's you know funny. even you know the, the clear mask and all that sort of stuff and actually i think there's one mask which is digital where you can actually i think you there's like speakers built up into it so there's you wow. know, the tech industry is built into you know the whole mask thing so crazy well i mean i try to support a lot of customers i know once the pandemic hit someone so many of us are out of work so Bethany Deal, who's like a local customer, she makes these great masks. And what I liked about them is they're actually big enough and you can mold them to your, everyone has a different size face, right? You know, right. so I like them. And then I, you know, I was trying to be supportive to everyone too. So yeah, I'll probably be wearing these things for a while. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I totally hear you. It's, it was funny, I was telling someone, usually I try to communicate with my face. I, I tend to have an expressive face. And like, even during the hall, in the hallway, I want to smile and, you know, just to, I don't know. And it's like, wait a minute, I'm smiling, but people can't see me because of my mask. So, mm -hmm. but um, I, it's just something we'll have to deal with. And we want to be very careful. And they can um, see your eyes. I feel like that's what a lot of people tell me because I've been working in the public, you know, since Corona. And so I feel like you can see it in your eyes and someone's smiling. When yeah, you're I, I yeah, stop. you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, uh, the other the, big news this week for me is yes. the alley opened last night. That's right. I know you've been chopping so, at the bit for that. Liz, so do you know about you know, the alley? You know I do it. not. I'm not a cool kid. <laughs> it's uh, a car yeah, I wouldn't say it's a, no, it's a piano bar on um, piano Grand bar, Avenue, yes. on Grand Avenue in Oakland. Oh, yep. nice. You definitely should go. I absolutely, you know, surprisingly enough, I've never been to a piano bar as a musical theater actress. I can't believe I've never <laughs> had, but I have not. I've never been to Martini's, never done any of that stuff. You, so maybe you blow I'm in Oakland a lot. So maybe yeah. I'll make sure I have that one. Yeah, it'd be a great place to uh, take a date and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, you went to the alley, Norman? Huh. I did. I went and I sang a song. So it's lots of plexiglass, everybody in mass, which is great. You can go up to the piano and, and plexiglass around the piano. So the pianist is, is nominally, there's one spot they didn't cover, but it looks like they just have to move a panel and it'll be covered. Um, but yeah, I got to sing. I sang a Satin Doll. And, um, you know, sat and visited with a bunch of friends who had come out. And so it looks like it's up and running again and very well loved and supported. So awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad the alley uh, didn't close down and uh, Yoshi's, have, they've opened up. So that's a place. Uh, so jazz. Oh, has Yoshi's place. is open again? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I got an email and uh, they're doing, <laughs> excuse me, they're doing a, um, 
that we got jazz performances. And so I'm very, very glad that they didn't permanently close down. So mm-hmm. they've been, um, I don't have a lot of things written down for current events. Obviously, it's really bad what's happening in India. I mean, uh, I opened up the uh, the front page of CNN, the first website, and just, you know, they're burning bodies. They're burning bodies out in the streets. In India, yeah. Yeah, it's really, really bad. Um, this is a funny one. I tried to squeeze these funny ones in. So in Hawaii, apparently people are using U-Hauls to just drive regularly because there's a car rental shortage in Hawaii. Or no, 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 what, what's going on is the car rentals in Hawaii are so high, it's cheaper to rent a U-Haul just to drive around. Huh. I thought crazy. that was funny. <laughs> that is funny. Uh, and of course, Giuliani. Giuliani was rated, so we'll see what happens wow. with that. Oh, <laughs> the news on that has been great. And, and Matt I, Gates and Matt Gates. Oh, oh of my course, God. the Matt Gates thing. Well, yeah, that's it's it's funny, and I'm glad to have you on, Liz. You know, as a woman, I mean, because we see these, because the, these are all just sexual harassment stuff. I mean, you've got mm-hmm. Matt Gates with underage girls. I saw just today uh, the Duggar child, the eldest Duggar child, Josh Duggar. Uh-huh. Apparently, if you've ever watched the uh, the 19 Kids and Counting, uh, the Duggar, they were part no, of a reality it, series. No, I didn't watch. But he got busted today for child um, uh, porn stuff or whatever. But oh, really? just the amount of cases, I mean, we could talk about Bill Cosby or whatever, just men who can't control their libidos. And right. I just wonder what... That, that's a good way of putting it, because I wouldn't be as polite. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, what do you... what? what's going on with you know with with men i mean you know in whether it be i mean liz do you have a hot take on you know what you know just uh just the uh i guess the me too movement (laughs) um it's it's crazy i think for me as much as i feel like we've had a lot of progress for women um i really do feel like a lot of this has reminded just as just as very much black lives matter has reminded us that things aren't too different as much as we think it is in some ways right Uh, so I think all of this just has come more to the surface. Um, I think what I've related to more, I feel like what I experienced when the Me Too movement happened was a lot of people just saying, well, why does everyone believe you know, women right away when they're saying it? And then all these people are coming out right away. That just seems like they're trying to jump on a train and you know, and, and, and then you have to kind of explain to people, you know, it makes more sense that people are going to feel safer when someone has now come out against someone who's, you know, making this much money. And I just like, you know, I really think it's interesting that the whole Broadway thing that's happening, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but like, you know, trying to get Scott Rudin and all those people. Yeah, that's right. That's right. What's he's that? become, no, he's become the Weinstein. Scott Rudin is sort of the Weinstein of Broadway, where he's sort oh. of the moneymaker or whatever. And now he's been sexual sexual um uh is is it um is it like a, a, ca- a casting couch thing or is it more brutal than that um i think well a lot of broadway artists have been coming out um making videos to just say that it's important that we get these people out of the industry before coming back and so it seems like it's a mix there's a, diff- a couple of their names and i can't feel alive for me to think of them but um everything from you know uh uncomfortable you know sexual harassment to uh, comments uh, that are racist. There's a whole bunch of different, and then, oh, and then again, also just actors just working their butts off and working 12 shows as an understudy and getting paid 600 bucks a week after paying everybody. It's it's a whole big thing, but definitely the Scott Rudin thing was the one that started. And I believe Karen Olivio, who was playing the lead in the Moulin Rouge musical, she sure. first made the first post saying, you know, listen, this is more important than me getting money in my pocket. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
what now seems to be the issue and which I agree with too, is that what I like to say is white Broadway wants to go back to work and are not taking the steps that everyone should be taking right now. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? It's time to make change. We're, we're in the midst of this craziness in the world. Now's the time to change things. So yeah, it's the, right, what you first said though, rather than just come back, <laughs> yeah. let's come back better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If we've all gone through all this change, let's not make it for nothing. Let's, let's change whatever we can. And I think it's really mm -hmm. important. Um, I think it's unfortunate that an actor of color has to do so. Um, but you know, yeah, it's unfortunate, but I'm glad that there's at least some talk happening. Um, and it seems like there was a march on Broadway, I believe, just like a couple of days ago. I think they were out in New York um, trying oh. to do more. So well, I'll have to check in and see what, what's been going on. But yeah, that's been interesting as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, so many individuals go to Broadway to, you know, whether you're a a person watching a show and, you know, you see all the wonderful, you know, actors and the wonderful shows. Or if you're an actor, you know, of course, you have the dreams of going to Broadway. And right. then, you know, you see the underbelly. You you want things to be right on both ends. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. with that, let's get into an origin story. Elizabeth Curtis, um, how did you, as we ask everybody, uh, how did you get involved in theater? Where were you born and raised? Um, I was born in Walnut Creek, California. And then mostly, yeah. yeah, and then mostly raised in Martina. So I've been a big girl my whole life. Um, my mom was an opera singer, so wow! I, yeah. I, I see, I see where it, did she uh, did she teach you? She did not actually. Um, I kind of did my singing thing on my own. I did choir and you know, like elementary school, I did band and stuff like that. And then, um, in high school, um, we have to you know take your extracurricular activities. And I had taken choir too many times, and they're like, yeah, do something different. So I was like, all right, well, let's try this drama class. I don't know what this is about. Um, and I tried it and my teacher pulled me after like the first day of class after everyone left and had mentioned that he thought I had a very natural ability to do acting and that if I've ever considered it. And I was like, no, nah, you know, I've always been a singer. I haven't really thought about that. And then he kind of opened my eyes to musical theater. I really wasn't aware of that. So uh, yeah, that's kind of how it all it all started. <laughs> and that was in high school or, or younger? Um, when I got into acting, it was in high school, like my junior year of high school. I'd always been singing choir and stuff like that. But junior, junior year of high school is when I got the acting itch. And then I was just all about it. Nice, nice. Um, did you go to college? I did. I went to uh, Diablo Valley College. Yeah, such a great junior college. Um, I got some of the best acting training I can ever imagine, um, to be honest. I was taught by Beth McBrien, um, who was taught by Jim Kirkwood, who was just a big method actor um, for DVC. And I just got really great training. Um, and of course, you know, remember drinking large coffees and reading plays and discussing sure. for three hours after class. I, mean, I was very focused. I was definitely very passionate. And I still am, but very focused when I first started and was trying to learn and still am to learn as much as possible. That's a never ending, you know, road for me in terms of my craft. So that's definitely where it started to like spark. Definitely. Yeah. And yeah, I, yeah, I usually ask folks um, because you know, there are a lot of folks who dabble into theater, but it's like, well, I don't see it as my career. I'll just, you know, to have fun. But then there's a point in your life where it's like, you know what, this is my calling. This is my thing. Uh, did that moment happen for you? I think so. Um, I definitely have had aspirations to go to the, the you know, Broadway and stuff like that. But um, uh -huh. 
but for me, I think just being able to do it professionally around the Bay Area would be enough for me. Um, but I definitely felt like, yeah, I'm definitely good at other things on people person. Um, but I feel like acting is just the one thing I'm naturally good at that I have a natural uh, act for, which is kind of a, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I don't like to talk about myself in that way. So it's, I'm more of a, I don't know, just weird to talk about myself that way, but yeah, I, I, I definitely love it. I've never felt anything like that. I've discovered a lot about myself while doing it. Um, yeah, it's my thing. No, no, it's, no, it's very cool. I was going to ask you, um, because we've had a couple who have been, uh, folks who have been singers who are singers and who have been involved in theater usually, you know, coming from the music um, industry or that background. Have you ever thought about going into like a recording studio or, or you know, still pursuing music just on your own? Or is it permanently theater, musical theater for you? You know, it's definitely different. I have dabbled recently in recording vocally just alone and not musical theater songs like modern stuff. Um, and I definitely think there's a difference for me in terms of making music as an artist versus making art in a on stage i think for me what i like is interpreting what is written on the page for us um i i'm still dabbling my own creativity um but in terms of being an artist and writing your own lyrics and your own songs and stuff like that that's more new and i'm definitely getting interested into it but i think definitely the stage is for me um recording has been really fun though and so weird to have to hear yourself and and still sing um but yeah, I, I definitely like both, but I would say I've definitely leaned more towards the, the stage for me. Yeah, no, no, that's cool. Uh, you know, Norman and I, we've had a bunch of uh, discussions about the school and uh, we've had a lot of guests come on and sometimes they haven't had the best uh, experience in school where let's say a teacher tried to steer them, you know, a different way um, yeah. because you may have your own version of what you want uh, theater to be or what you want to do as an artist. And someone may try to point you, you know, the other way. Um, have you had any bad experiences or it sounds like it's been all good? Well, I definitely had, you know, as a, as a plus size woman, I've definitely had a lot of experiences that weren't so lovely in theater. And also when I was young in college, I mean, I remember customers saying, we don't have anything that fits you. And, you know, so it's just something that you get used to, I guess, which is kind of unfortunate. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, it definitely theater is uh, taught me a lot of things about my own self-confidence and, um, you know, not listening to comments <laughs> such as that. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because we've had uh, Deb Carragher on. She, she, she and I did uh, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. And also she and I were in a uh, theater company. Uh, EastEnders, and she's also a plus-size woman. We also had Jessica Coker Moore on, yeah. an amazing singer. You may know her. She's that's she's... one of my best friends. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Je yeah. Jessica is just a magnificent and just a magnificent singer. We um, she did Bat Boy, and I was her stage manager. Okay. Um, but I remember um, it was Deb Carragher, and she um, I remember she bursted into tears because we were doing uh, Women on the Verge, and. She talked about, I guess, the costume designer was like, well, I don't have anything for you because, um, well, to make a long story short, she was trying to dress up thinner women and she didn't have anything for uh, Deb or so she says. And it was just ridiculous because, I mean, you know, Deb was cast and mm -hmm. I, I'm sure you've had to. I, is, is it a lingering thing? I mean, is it something that, you know, that happens only once or what is the conversation? Because I think it's something that needs to be brought up that, yeah. um, 
nothing yeah. can happen, at least for me, when I walk into any audition remotely at all, I feel like I have to work twice as hard or three times as hard, especially depending on the role, right? If I'm going in for Tracy Turnblad, maybe I go, okay, well, this is my show, right? This is my role. I'm a curvy woman coming in for a curvy part. But mm -hmm. I think a lot of uh, directors and, produ and producers for theater, what I hope they would do is kind of expand their minds as to what they think a character is supposed to be. Um, I, I feel like I've seen so many amazing women that are happen to be plus size in roles that happen to be ingenues. And I feel like that's the one thing you rarely see, you know, and it's like, it's like it's saying the message of, you know, oh, well, you can't be loved because you're plus size. Who would love you? You can't play the ingenue, you know what I mean? So I feel like I would hope that that's starting to happen, but I do know and have experienced many times in the Bay Area where I feel like I don't get a part or, or other people don't get a part be based off of their look um, or their mm. weight or their color, their skin. So, and I feel like, I hope that um, that kind of changes for us here. You know what I mean? Like, mm. I, I don't think it's necessary. I think if we can expand our imaginations and, you know, the fourth wall to watch into someone's life, why, why does it have to be a certain looking person? So, yeah, especially, if, especially if you have the talent, you know, if you have the talent and especially in musical theater, if you have the voice, right. I think that would, you know, just will take things, you know, beyond bounds. I mean, you know, if you have someone who's like, wow, this person, I mean, you know, their presence is just amazing. Um, we can get by the stereotypes or the cliches that we always see on TV or whatever. I want to bring Norman in as a director. I mean, what conversations do you have when you approach a script or when you're, you know, you're casting, especially when you're talking with your design crew, like your set, your, um, your costume designer, like, hey. Well, that's, we, I mean, yeah, that, so those are, to me, those are two different conversations, but because um, the design side of things, I and thrilled to learn how much of a collaborative process this is. Designers come to me and they've read the script and they said, I'm thinking about this, or I'm wondering if you wanna do this. And I'm like, uh, you know, I'd say not half the time, but a good portion of the time I'm like, hadn't thought about it, sounds brilliant. Let's make that happen. But I think from the other side, it's funny, I'm, I'm teaching a class I teach in the spring at uh, this private school in the peninsula. And the kids were asking yesterday about acting which is funny to me because they're not really actors. We are doing a theater project, but they're kind of new to the whole notion. And I'm like, well, there's a big part of you cast how you think you should cast, but you also cast based on who's available, what you can, what, who you can't, you know, who's even available to be in it. And then you start to get to know that person and what they bring to it. And so you have ideas in your head about what you thought it was going to be, but if you're a smart director, you pay attention to what that other person is bringing to the mix and you go, oh, where I hadn't thought about that. That's not even the way, you know, it's like cooking. Maybe I didn't think I was going to put some salt in here, but wow, that actually adds something to it. Salt on my grapefruit. Sure, I'll go for it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, I it's, think, yeah, it's important to be flexible. Go ahead, Norman. Yeah. So, no, it's, um, I and the thing, other thing I try to, uh, I also just finished this week a uh, directing workshop up in Richmond. And again, young students who really don't know much about any of this. So I'm like, wow, this isn't, I'm not trying to teach a college course. This isn't the, you know, the uh, deconstruction of what it means to do this. This is really, how do you approach it? How do you do it? And I tell them, you know, if you want to be that bossy director, you can do that. There are plenty of them out there. 
But what's going to be best for your show really is if you can have that flexibility, if you can find that way to, to work with the other people. Um, and I was saying in terms of casting, because I think casting is the biggest part of the show. You know, there are scripts that I have not been in love with, but depending on casting and what that brings to, you know, my creative process, suddenly I feel like I elevate the show. Suddenly the show becomes a lot more interesting to me and I hope for the audience. So I say to them, think about what story you're telling. And the easiest thing to talk about is with women. If I put a woman in a role that is traditionally a male role, what story am I telling now? Because that story of that man who decides he's going to stand up and be the hero, we've seen that story so much. It becomes a little tired and cliche. When you put the woman in that position, hopefully your audience is going, wait a minute, not a woman. <laughs> Hopefully you can make them take that journey with you in a totally new way. Yeah. And it takes, you know, like a flexible mind to to have a, an actress come in and you say, you know what, I had one idea, but this person has sparked my interest. So let me let me play with that. And I think that's what all of us actors are looking for. It's like, hey, see me in this role. It may not be the role that you see me in, but maybe I can bring something to it. You know, when you see me um, audition. I was going to ask well, you. And when Liz says, you know, to take the other side of that, mm -hmm. the uh, the plus size people who are shapes, because I also talk about this with big kids and little kids. <laughs> and I'm like, just because you're the little kid doesn't mean you can't be king or the warrior hero <laughs> in the same way that I can make it a girl. If you take a plus size woman and you allow her, I, I there's so many plays that have been written for it. And then Hollywood turns it into like Michelle Pfeiffer. And I'm like, come on, y'all. <laughs> there are lots of women who are the, you know, I'm thinking, oh God, what's that one show? It's a, it's a love story, a short order cook and a waitress. And it's a gorgeous play. It was originally played and then they made it a movie. And I think it's Pacino and, and Frank, Frankie and Johnny, Frankie and Johnny. Yeah. Frankie, Frankie and the Claire Deloon. Yeah. 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 A gorgeous play, but it says, she says throughout guys, don't look at me. I'm really past that point. All this sort of stuff. So when you put that in some pretty yeah, it doesn't make sense. traditional yeah. looking hot thing, why would I even believe this woman? Okay, I, if I were a guy, I'd be like, okay, so you're a little crazy, which means I don't really have to take you seriously and I might get lucky tonight. It's not <laughs> the story that I want to be telling. You know, that's, that's a different story. So yeah. you have to learn to trust that uh, Romeo and Juliet is the example I always use. If you make Romeo and Juliet two traditionally pretty people, it's a pretty boring story. Of course he's in love with her. She's hot. Of course she's in love with him. He looks like he's the football star. You know, if he looks like Brad Pitt, I'm in love with him. Jesus. <laughs> I was gonna... He looks like a pimply faced somebody. Sure. And she looks like a girl, which is what she is. Yeah. That love story draws you in in a totally different way. Yeah, I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you, Liz. Um, you, uh, what was your experience like? You worked with, um, like I look at your, your uh, you worked with, at, excuse me, Boxcar Theater, um, and Peter Matthews is a good friend of mine. Uh, he was a uh, former East Enderer. I think he ran Boxcar at the time. But uh, just some of, I just want to get, you know, what your uh, experience has been working with some of these companies like Rave Light Theater. That must have been a wonderful experience. Oh, Ray of Light was great. Um, my first experience of Ray of Light was with Lizzie, which was the uh, Bay Area premiere of the Oh, Lizzie Borden. <laughs> yeah, which Jess Coker and I did. I was Lizzie and Jess Coker was my sister. Um, 
<clears throat> that was, I mean, first of all, it was a brand new show. We were getting new stuff from the directors while we were doing it. So it was already a new piece that was, you know, a lot to deal with, but Ray of Light, just first of all, Victoria is a great space to perform in. What a beautiful. Yeah. Um, I think it's yeah. over a hundred years old. Yeah. It's like the oldest, I think, theater in San Francisco. Um, oh. It's gorgeous. Um, so I did Lizzie with them and that was a brilliant experience. And then I did, um, they did a uh, Rocky horror every year. Um, and so the year after Lizzie, I, I did um, Eddie for them, which was, was so fun. I, love, cool. I love playing men. I love playing men. I have had some of the best roles in my life been doing that. Um, so I had a really good time with them. They're great. Um, Boxcar was cool. I did um, Hedwig and the Angry Inch with them. Uh, Nick uh. was doing uh, Boxcar at that moment. And I came in, I think towards the end of like their second run of doing it as like a, <clears throat> just a swing um, for Yitzhak. Um, and I fell in love with that role. I mean, my God, that was great. Um, and it's such a small company, very tiny space. I don't know if you guys knew that old space, the box part. Yeah, was down, the, down the basement, right? Is yeah, it, it was on six in the Toma. Yeah. So really, you know, you're just walking on in and it was very, very small, but cool. very cool at the same time uh, to work there. And then I've also worked for, you know, like Town Hall and Lafayette. What a great company to work for. I yeah. love them. They're like family um uh i've also worked for center rep in walnut creek they're great as well um yeah, the berkeley playhouse berkeley playhouse is great too i mean i've been lucky i really have been lucky to work with such great companies um and do such great stuff yeah i've i've been a lucky gal to be honest and i'm really chomping at the bit for theater to come back there was so many you know i feel a lot of us lost a lot of good you know roles or we had things planned out i with my, again, with my injury and I had this concussion, I, I wasn't able to sing for a few months because uh, it was a weird- I, I've been through that. Holy moly, man. I didn't think it would affect me as much as it did, but my right. God. <laughs> I'm glad no, there's I no would, facial I would damage. learn choreography and then I would go into the next room while they worked on something else and I could not, I couldn't retain anything. Yeah, it's nuts. It was a really weird experience. And so to do the one thing I felt like I wanted to do was, not be able to do it was frustrating. Um, and so, I mean, I had a, I was gonna do Violet at Town Hall Theater, which is a beautiful musical. Um, so I was excited about doing that, but you know, you know, things happen for a reason. So like I said, I just hope that better things come out of everything that came from the pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, you haven't done any, um, you haven't done a lot of Zoom stuff? You know, I found it really hard as a, at least for me as an artist, I was very happy to see other friends doing stuff, but I really found it hard to connect the same way via Zoom to do performance. So I know a few months back, um, the writers of Lizzie, we, we, Ray of Light had to stream our performance of Lizzie because um, originally they were going to bring us all back to do it in concert. But then, you know, COVID mm. happened. So they right. decided to do a Zoom version. And obviously we weren't going to do the show on Zoom. So they just showed our show. But um, even that, trying to relate to people that way, just in, you know, um, in the one performance we did record, it was just so different for me. I, I, I need to feel the energy of, you know, of people. I need to be on the stage. I need to be in my setting. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a lot different for me. So I didn't do a lot. I did dabble a little bit in like, making some own music myself uh, or to, you know, do some covers and stuff like that. But to be honest, I didn't really post a lot of them. I did one with a friend who's a Bay Area drummer. So he posted ours, but I kind of just did it for me just to keep my sanity, I guess. Um, 
but yeah, it's, it's been really difficult to be honest. I don't feel the same connection as I do being on stage. So yeah. And hopefully that'll end soon. I mean, you know, yeah, uh, I hope so. places, places are opening up. Uh, Things are happening. Yeah. Their auditions are starting to happen again. So well, I'm hoping that people also think of outside the box. I know it's really expensive for theater companies after everything we've gone through to try to do an outdoor show and you don't have outdoor gear and stuff like that. But I'm hoping right. maybe there's some like cool things we can think about. Like, I feel like I saw an article and I believe it was in Japan that they were doing theater, but they had this circular a thing built and the actors were in the middle and everyone was on the outside and they had these little wooden slats on the side. So it looked like you're literally peering into a window and watching the story, which I thought, how cool is that? Like, mm -hmm. that's pretty rad. So I'm interested to see what we also come up with non-traditionally while still getting over the pandemic. I think it'll be kind of cool. I, I just noticed that normally you had, um, uh, there was someone on Facebook, I forget the woman's name, my, my memory is so bad, but she talked about being a COVID, um, auditor or, or a COVID uh, clearance? Uh, yeah. Um, yes. Um, I, yeah. <laughs> uh, Aaron Merritt. Aaron Aaron, Merritt. It, it was Aaron Merritt. So apparently she, and I guess this is something that theater companies may be doing to open up, you would have some sort of a COVID uh, compliance a, officer, a COVID compliance officer who will check to make sure that the actors and the stagehands and everyone involved and also the audience are COVID compliant so that you can open up. And hopefully that will be the sort of uh, the rubber stamp, you know, that can be put on so that mm -hmm. companies can open up again. That would be um, cool. <laughs> yeah, it would be fun because I, I, I agree just like you. I want to, you know, see people on stage and, you know, and have that action reaction. You know, this is the only way that theater can really, really work. Um, what has been your, I, I guess, um, the, the best, uh, I guess, the best moments that, that you've had on stage or the, the performances that you really, um, it sounds like Lizzie. Lizzie may have been uh, the best thing that you've done or the best experience honestly, that you've had. Yeah, probably, I mean, I, it's hard to pick because everyone, you know, every show has a big place in my heart. Um, but to be honest, yeah, it was probably, it's probably between Lizzie and then I did a show called Dogfight um, with OMG. I love that show Productions. Uh, uh, they're a smaller company and I think, I don't think they exist anymore, but they were running out of the black box in the Lusher, the small theater. Um, I did that. And it was, that was brilliant. I think what I liked about that is everyone knows me as this big belter. Um, and what was nice is that role was so vulnerable and very intimate theater and very small. I really liked just being able to play, you know, someone that people didn't expect me to play. That was really, really nifty. So I think probably, and which I want to, you know, I want a TVA for that. That's right. I want a TVA for that. Oh, I didn't know that. Hey, that's fantastic. I forgot. Right on. <laughs> I want a TPA for that show. So yeah, it's, it's hard to say both of those roles are just so vastly different from who I am as a person and challenged me so much as an actor and as a person. So I'd probably say, yeah, those two are probably the best shows I've ever been a part of. Really, really cool. I just, <laughs> so I have two uh, memories of, well, uh, the one, the first memory that I have of you, the first time that we met, we jammed, I don't even know if you remember this, but we were jammed. It was you, me, and um, Nick, Nick, um, um, Nick Mandrakia. Yes, yes. <laughs> and because we were doing Musical Cafe and we were doing Town Hall Theater, uh, Civil War Christmas. Yeah. And we had to rush from one place to the other to Another. make it to rehearsal on time. And we just had a fun time karaokeing and singing in the car. And wow. I was like, wow, this is really cool. It was almost like being in college again. And I was like, <laughs> so, and I didn't feel as old as I am. 
uh, but that was a nice, and I was like, wow, you know, this is a real cool chick. So um, that was, it was really nice. It was the first, you know, spontaneous meeting. And it just shows how, you know, how wonderful theater can be. Um, and Town Hall Theater, I mean, that, I mean, the uh, Civil War Christmas, that was a wonderful experience. And um, it was also, we were talking off mic, you know, your, your grandmother passed away during the production. Yep. And you, I guess we got to see how theater can really be sort of a family affair where we take care of each other as actors when we're going through, you know, really hard times, especially during, I mean, can you talk about just how, because your grandmother was really, really close to you. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, it was a very hard thing. Um, but I, like I said earlier off mic, I'm, I'm quite thankful that it actually all happened whilst I was with the family that was a Civil War Christmas. Um, I feel like everyone was just so supportive. And I grew up, you know, in this, in the time of theater where you, you're there for every show, no matter what. So I didn't even think it was possible, you know what I mean, for me, for me to not be there. Um, but that's, I think I'll forever be grateful to you guys, the actors, the production crew and, and town hall itself for being um, so supportive and remembering. I think that's one thing that we all struggle with sometimes in theater is that we're all, we're all human beings, you know what I mean? We all mm -hmm. have a breaking point or something that happens or, and, and, and for, to feel that much support and, and to be able to told like, you know, Hey, you can go you can go be with your grandma, you know, during this time it was really special for me, uh, difficult. And then I feel like, you know, it was very weird coming back that night after she had passed and doing a show, but again, to come back to such love and support, you know, like a lovely card. And I had this like really fancy hot chocolate from Whole Foods, you guys got me. Um, it was just really nice to feel supported. And like theater has always been that way. It's such, it's such a nice time when you have a knit family that's that close and mm -hmm. it happens, right? We spend all of our time together in rehearsals and being vulnerable with each other and, and getting to know each other and sharing these emotions between each other. So yeah, it was definitely a difficult experience to, um, to let go of what was happening, but I was grateful that I had that support system while it was happening. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I really think, and, and you know, Town Hall really promotes that. There are a lot of theater companies that promote it, but you know, when it actually happens, when a bad thing really happens, it's really nice to see, um, a company come together and you know the actors really did come together and I don't know if you can get that support at a day job you know not no not even, <laughs> right. not hopefully. even I mean hopefully people are decent human beings well yeah but you know how corporate world can be as opposed mm -hmm. to let's say you know the theater world well you're absolutely right Liz you know uh, our emotions you know we put our, our our emotions on the stage and during the rehearsal process and we bond with each other. I was going to bring Norman in. I mean, uh, as a director, I'm sure you've had the actor come to tell you, hey, listen, my mom died, my dad died, or things are happening, or let's say they don't tell you anything, but you can feel it as a director. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with um, this? Well, I'm sorry that, that what's going on, but the show must go on. How do you deal with that? Well, okay. So that that's, as a working artist, that was a huge thing to learn. The show doesn't have to go on it doesn't it's a choice and if you choose to make the show go on then those moments are magic they are amazing but if by making that choice you respect everybody's humanity you respect that these are people with lives and other things that they are doing and when they choose to put that aside or they choose to bring that energy back into the focus of making the show happen, it can be huge. So I've, you know, I've 
as a director, there's always that voice in my head that goes, oh, damn, really? <laughs> I got to get this done tonight. And you decide now you got to have personal issues. Really? <laughs> but again, like I said, I, I have to remember in that moment, if I go, damn it, this show, this show is the most important thing then I'm missing an opportunity. And that's what I've learned is that it's an opportunity. So just accept it because if you're gonna fight it, I have a letter. As a producer, I sent a letter to a director who had agreed to do a show for me. I got everything set up. I've already made commitments to people. Money is on the table. And he last minute gets offered a sweet gig. <laughs> and he's like, ah, I'm sorry, I'm not gonna be able to direct that. And I was like, what? I can't believe you did that. And I wrote this letter and tried to be like the most formal business I could. I'm really disappointed in you. It's really not very professional, blah, blah, blah. And I found that letter a few years ago and I pulled it up and I was like, oh my gosh, I hope I never sent that. I <laughs> hope I didn't send that because I know now that if I say to you suddenly, hey, I'm really not feeling well, I'm not going to be able to work tonight. That's human. Yeah. And, you know, and, and theater is really about, I mean, you know, the theater that I'm used to, it's about humanity. It's about, you know, yeah. the stories of humanity. And of course, we have to recognize the humanity of the actors, of the actual actors. And so when well, it everybody, does- Everybody, when your tech says they can't do it, if yeah, you're a right. good director, you're going to go, oh God, I guess I got to go backstage and do what needs to get done. And I really hope this opens the door because I feel like the one thing I've noticed in the Bay Area theater is that we really don't have understudies. Most of the equity companies I've worked for in the Bay Area do not have understudies. Uh -huh. um, and it's just kind of weird to me. I, for me, that's another person to learn the role. That's a way to support someone in case, or if they have understudies, you're not allowed to use them. Unless you've broken a leg, you know, you're, <laughs> you're not allowed to use them. <laughs> Um, so, you know, I'm hoping that that's also some of the changes in theater that companies realize how important, you know, how important health issues are. And when you have, you know, like a one woman, you know, I think Katrina McGraw, who's a freaking beast on stage, that that woman's crazy. She's an equity actress and she's wonderful. She was doing a show at Center Rep. I think it was The Life and Times of Bessie Smith, I think is what she was doing, which was freaking mm. great. And uh, she had got sick. And I feel like they had to cancel some shows because obviously right. she didn't have an understudy, but I mean, she physically couldn't phonate, you know what I mean? There's only so right. much we keep pushing ourselves to do. And we certainly will. I mean, I would say as an actor, I've been taught, you just keep going. You keep the show's got to go on. The show's right, got to exactly. go on. So I'm hoping maybe this also will bring up some change for maybe companies really embracing the fact that understudies might be a cool, and it's cool to be an understudy. It's really cool. It multiple, <clears throat> Yeah, it's definitely a, a, a pain and a lot of stress for sure. Well, I mean, it's gotta be done respectfully. Sure. Yes. It's a lot of work that somebody's asking you to do. Yeah, I remember when, uh, you know, uh, Town Hall Theater, no, not Town Hall, um, the DMT, the Douglas Morrison Theater, we did uh -huh. Candide. And Candide, you know, there were actors who were also understudies of other actors. And so right. not only did was there a safeguard if someone got sick, but also they were allowed to perform. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. Like Rachel Deathridge was uh, an understudy for this wonderful actress, uh, Angela Jaros, who played a Cookamonga. I, I, I'm butchering the name. Yeah. Um, but she was the lead actress. And, um, you know, Rachel actually got to perform as, you know, the uh, the you know, the, the lead actress at one time. So, but I'm sure money has a lot to do with that. I'm sure a lot of companies are like, oh, I can't afford to pay someone if they're not even gonna uh, show up or whatever. Speaking of money, business-wise, I mean, how do you, Liz, how do you, um, 
are you are you happy as an actor or do you feel that you are underappreciated underpaid um Uh, (laughs) absolutely underpaid that's for sure i uh I feel like the one thing that's been nice about the pandemic is just having time as much as I miss theater, just having a job and that's it, um, it's been nice. So when you try to make both of those things happen and you're getting paid a hundred dollars for an entire run that oh, you're doing no, in no, San no. Francisco, mm-hmm. that you're commuting to, right? which to be honest is also a company I praised. You know what I mean? That there's also negatives, you know what I mean? Um, I, I, I did it because it was a, great show but my god did i put myself in debt doing it and when you're doing two three four five shows a year you know and taking a week break before you start the next one right it's really financially difficult to be a, a, an actor in the bay area so obviously i had to make sure i had a day job but even with the day job it's incredibly hard to work those eight hours or more dedicated to that job and then have the flexibility to be able to go do your theater and then how tired, you know, I, I've been doing this now, gosh, I'm 35 and I've been doing acting the Bay since I was like 22, 21, like professionally. Mm-hmm. And my God, like it's, it's tiring. It, it really is. And, and it, and it also makes you feel uh, less, not that you're, that you're not important. Like I'm just replaceable. I think a lot of the things in the Bay area, it's like, oh, well, if you don't want to do this job for 200 bucks, I'll just get someone else who will. Right. You know I mean, so I feel like, uh, I would love for that to change. Do I think it ever is going to change? I I, I don't. I, I honestly don't know. <laughs> oh, um, I I would like it to. Um, I'm not thinking that I need to make as much as I make at my day job. Obviously, you know, I'm not um, looking for that necessarily, unless I'm an equity actor. Um, but I would like to be a little bit compensated. I, I I think more so for the work that I do. If I'm with you for five hours a night you know, on the weeknights and then eight hours plus 12 hours, depending on the weekends for a Saturday rehearsal or something, it'd be nice to make more than $300 total. I know it's a, it's a give and take though. You know what I mean? I know that right. these don't have a lot of money coming into and they got to pay other people and stuff, but I will say, you know, from my experience um, that I've, you know, I, I hear what musical directors are being paid and I hear what directors are being paid for certain right. companies I've worked for. And that's when it hurts is when I hear about how much someone else is making and then here I am and I'm I'm just going into debt on my credit cards right just to do what I like to do you know so yeah I was gonna ask I was gonna ask you Norman I mean you're the equity actor um but if you were non-equity what would be the uh I guess the the floor I mean you know like because we've talked about the BAP you know uh there have been a couple of like um a good friend of ours Kari Moy I remember he Mm -hmm. was discussed hey, listen, I know you have an equity contract and you're going to hire me. So let's just, you know, let's let's discuss. Because I think a lot of actors need to, especially young actors, need to know how to negotiate. I, but, I wish ahead. people would teach something about negotiation. I'd take the class, honestly, because I don't know. I, um, I think about it, particularly as I'm getting older um, and there are less roles available. I'm like, why am I staying in equity? But I realize if I quit equity, that doesn't suddenly throw the door open because, yeah, if you're not paying me a respectful amount, then I'm not going to do it. And respectful amount can mean different things. I love Robert Estes. I would work with Robert Estes for very little money. I really would, depending yeah. on what else is going on. If who runs Anton's well, for those who paid, don't know. Yeah. I might say, um, yeah, he runs Anton's well, and he's a wonderful director, at least 
from the shows that I've seen that he's directed, I am impressed with what he gets out of a performer. I'm like, yes, I want to be one of those people. And so I'd be excited to work with him. And he said, wow, we really, really just don't have much money. I know I've seen, I've seen the rehearsal spaces. I've been, I've been to his rehearsals. He's been really gracious that way. He's invited me in. There was once when I was going to be out of town and he said, well, come to the dress rehearsal. I'm like, okay. So I go to this tiny little space and they're like in a big room in a tiny space. That's all they've got. And I'm like, this is the dress rehearsal. Where's your show going to be? What the hell? So I totally get it. It's not about the money. But like you said, if I know somebody else is getting paid $3,500, you better not come at me about 200. You better not say, oh, we only have $200 for the actors. No, right. no, no. You you have more than that. Yeah. You and told I, and, me you have more than that. And I've always felt, why would you call yourself a theater company if you don't have the money? I mean, you know, why... Like, a lot of people do. Yeah, and, and it's unfortunate. I mean, I remember when uh, I uh, we when we were in Musical mm -hmm. Cafe, and I I wrote uh, the musical Nia. I'm I, I'm sure I overpaid the actors, but I was so appreciative of what the actors were doing. I was like, listen, I know that if I had to take time away from my family or my job, like you mentioned, you know, Liz, you you have a, a nine to five, eight eight to six job. So do I. And I know how it is like, you know, during the job, I'm learning lines <laughs> and, you know, memorizing things, you know, because I don't have enough time to do anything else because I'm rushing from the job, my day job to rehearsal and I got to be ready for rehearsal and the weekends. I mean, I'm just tapped out. So I know what people go through. They need to be compensated. So, you know, I, I right. make sure if I'm going to produce something, um, you know, um, pay them. And if you can't, don't do the show. I mean, that's that's just personally how I feel. Well, well and it's also. Of, oh, sorry, sorry. No, I you. Think a lot of uh, Bay Area actors, at least for me, I I know I could be equity now if I want to. I have been able to for years. But what also is a, a downturn, at least for me in the Bay Area, is if I can't get, you know, there's only so many equity theaters and so many equity contracts in the Bay Area that are available. So when you start to think about also, well, let me take this step and maybe this is what's going to help me to actually get paid, you know, a decent amount or a respectable amount. Um, then that also, I've heard horror stories of how that backfires if you're in the Bay Area. You sign up to be equity and then you don't get cast ever again. Oh, yeah. No, it happens. <laughs> so it's this really give and take thing. You know, it's hard. And I certainly don't expect to, like I said, I don't expect to make as much as I'm getting paid at my day job. You know, that that obviously I don't. But um, yeah, it's just sometimes it's just really disheartening to keep going or, to, or to, to make sure you still know your value when you're constantly being thrown, you know, such low ball numbers for three to six months, you know, of, of your life. Have you thought about Liz uh, going elsewhere? There are a lot of folks who have been in, let's say, a rave light theater, and they've gone on to Hollywood, like I think of James Eichelhart. You know, he yeah. directed Bat Boy, and now, you know, he's a Tony Award winner, and he's doing all sorts of crazy things and wonderful things. Yeah, I mean, James actually hosted when we did the Lizzie reunion, he hosted it. <laughs> so that was kind that of- That was awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, yeah, of course. I mean, I have a uh, Taylor Jones, who was also in Lizzie with us. She- um, she opened two shows on Broadway and then she was supposed to be in Hamilton in LA. Of course, COVID happened. And then she was supposed to be starring in uh, The Devil Wears Prada, the new musical in Chicago. So yeah, I definitely have a lot of friends that are successful and it does make me curious um, to explore uh, different things. I've been honestly thinking a lot about going down to LA. Uh, I have a lot of good friends uh, that are doing film stuff down there. I have a good friend that um, 
is blowing up in the film industry. He just got done doing, um, oh shoot. Uh, there's a new uh, Macbeth movie with uh, Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand. He's oh, wow. He just wow. got done doing, he was also in uh, uh, Judas and a Black Messiah. He nice. was a, a good talking role in that. So I'm like, you know, I've definitely seen my friends doing well. And so it definitely makes me want to go explore just a little bit different areas and stuff. So I've been considering maybe going to LA or like I said, I have a lot of friends in New York. So yeah, I've been considering it absolutely, but I do love my Bay, you know? Yep. So have you have you visited New York? Surprisingly enough, I have never been to New York City. Not I yet. have 50 friends that live there and tell me to come stay on their couch all the time. Uh, but I have, I have yet to go. Um, now that I have, you know, tried to, again, a lot of positive things about the pandemic, as much as I've now experienced life without theater, I've realized I also want to do some life things. As much as I love theater, I've missed friends' weddings. I've missed life oh, events uh -huh. you know, due to theater. You have to yeah. make a decision. Do I want to go to my friend's wedding or do I want to do the show? You right. know what I mean? So you make those decisions. And I feel like the one thing I have learned is I, I love to travel. I want to go see the world a little bit more, even just the United States alone. So I think that's definitely something that, you know, once I'm it's safe to travel and I'm fully vaccinated and it's more of a safer uh, thing yeah. that I absolutely will go to New York. Yeah, I'm very no. excited. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I mean, it's worth at least, you know, at least a shot. And, you know, you know, for those who, I would recommend, you know, going because, you know, I went to school in New York and um, if you go and let's say it doesn't work, at least you can say I tried. I, I gave it a shot. So absolutely. I'm hoping I might be like, you know, like be someone who might be successful in like the, the later years of my career. <laughs> let's hope. <laughs> we'll uh. see. But like I said, for me, it's never been about going to Broadway for me, just being able, it's like my venting board almost. I'm experiencing <laughs> doing shows for me. It's me under different circumstances, right? So I feel like I let alone like live out things through that that help me. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's never, it's never been a, I have to go to Broadway. It definitely would be something that'd be very cool. But as long as I have theater in my life, you know, I think I'll be okay, even if yeah. it's just at a local capacity. That's that's good for me. No, I hear you. And that, that leads me to my last question because I want to be respectful of people's time. But where do you see yourself? I don't know, five, 10 years from now. I mean, um, do, you, do you have any uh, greater aspirations or whatever? You know, um, I would love to teach. Uh, maybe I think for me as a singer first and then learning acting, one thing um, that I've loved doing is uh, acting through singing which, you know, musical theater has been around for a long time, but I feel like just recently now it's been more of a, a lot of musicals are now more about raw emotions and not just about the great vocals. So um, I, I'm really excited about that. And so that kind of makes me want to teach. I mean, I feel like I learned so much from my teachers in college. Um, and as, you know, a young performer, I would really love to, um, you know, do that. So I've been thinking about that and that'd be kind of cool. Uh, yeah, who, who knows? I guess I would, yeah, that's the one thing I had been thinking about, but maybe be yeah. teaching. But yeah, like and I think it's important because I hear so much, you know, there, and I also hear it and also rock and I'm probably being just an old stogie, but you know, you have to really support your voice and you have to, you know, there's the, the resonators and the articulators and there's the diaphragm. And if you don't have proper singing technique, you can burn your voice out. And as mm -hmm. a belter, you know, you're a belter, Liz, you know, full well that if you don't, have proper technique you can blow your voice out you know the vocal cords are very very sensitive absolutely absolutely and you know surprisingly i've never had a vocal lesson before um i wow. yeah i just haven't um 
I, so yay, thank you, mother, (laughs) the natural talent. But um, yeah, it's, it's very important. And I think what people think about is they're doing musicals are so focused on their, their vocals. They sometimes forget, oh, I have an emotion or vice versa. Um, So it is, it is a hard balancing game, but at least for me, anytime I'm just focused on what my intention is as a character, the vocal comes when Mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't, I think it's just, you don't think about it. You have to put the work in, in the rehearsals so that when you get to the show, it just happens naturally. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, no, you're totally right. And I can totally see you. I mean, uh, Bendelstiff Studios, they're having all sorts of workshops and they're bringing in all sorts of talent like Leeling Ao to discuss directing and they have an actor who is teaching acting and Conrad Panganaban, but I'm sure they can have a, a thing for musical, uh, you know, musical theater or town hall theater. I'm, sh- you know, I'm sure they do workshops as well. Yeah, so I'm sure I would love also- to do that. Maybe directing sometimes too. And that's always been a scary thing for me because I've yeah. been an actor, but you know, I've had so many people be like, man, you'd be, you're really good. You should be thought about directing. And I was like, nah, not really, man. Like I huh. did in college class, but you know, it wasn't really my thing. I wanted to be on the stage, but now that I'm getting older, um, for some reason, that's just opening my mind more to not just the stage, but things that are still in theater that interest me. And yeah, I think directing is starting to turn its little head and and start to <laughs> to call my name. Yeah. So, Norman, yeah. have you have you taught directing? You teach directing, don't you? Who me? Yeah, you. Yeah, I just finished my class Wednesday. Um, and it was funny because what I did, do I have it? I do have it. Um, for the final day, I. And we started with this, Understanding Comics by Scott uh-huh. McCloud. We started with it and we finished with it because I love his last chapter where he talks about what it is to be an artist. And basically he says, it's, we have a need to express. It's sort of in us. Um, he, you know, he tells a little story of a caveman who's um, chasing a woman, you know, classic caveman chasing cavewoman story. So, you know, he's, and he says, reproduction. (laughs) You know, we're focused on reproduction. So he runs for a few panels and then it flips and suddenly the woman, he can't find her, she's hiding somewhere and you hear a roar and then he's being chased by a saber tooth tiger. So he's running, running, running. And he runs and he's running towards a cliff. There's a tree and a cliff and he's running, running, running. He says, he's only got one option. He jumps and he jumps up into the tree and the tiger goes over the cliff. You know, so there's survival, there's reproduction. And then he looks over the cliff and he goes, this <laughs> is art. That's art. The need to express ourselves. And so it's funny because I'm teaching this directing workshop and I'm like, what do you teach somebody about directing? There's all kinds of ideas of what you should do or how you can do it. As you know, if you've worked in theater, you work with all kinds of different directors who have all kinds of different approaches and they work. So I'm not so much married to that notion of it. It really to me becomes a, what is it that the playwright is trying to say? Why did the producer pick this show? What is it they think they're trying to say? And then what is my take on that? Which is then gonna be informed by all the other artists that are involved in the collaboration. So what I love about it is the director, you're sort of like the guy, kind of the guy steering the ship. Or you may just be the guy ordering people, ordering the person who's steering the ship. But you got to deal with everything else that is out there. And that's where your talent comes in. That's where your skill comes in is, can you manage all those other problems, bring them back together and still put that show up so that the audience goes, oh my God, I was in the room 
and this amazing story happened. Then I've done my job. There you go. And I can see you, Liz, being a sort of director who also knows music, because a lot of the, there's usually, for a musical, there's usually a director and then a musical director. Yep. And I can see you being both. So, you know, that would be, you know, it's good to have multiple talents. Yeah. We all done with that idea. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, and with that, uh, it's 7.05, so I think we should shut it down. Um, shout outs, birthdays. Sunday, it's, it's funny, we usually do this on Saturday. This is Friday night, so I can't say tomorrow, but Sunday, two days from now, is Elizabeth Carter's birthday. There you so, go, yeah. Good friend of mine who is doing all kinds of amazing things that she won't let me tell the world about yet, but there are announcements coming, and when it is formally announced, you will all go, oh, really? In the meantime, it's her birthday on Sunday. Uh, somebody I went to high school with, Tonya Wadinsky. Um, I, I think it was the first time that I became aware that women could be techs because she was in our high school, the goddess of tech. Um, skipping a couple of names that I think you'll yeah. have. Belina Brown, mm -hmm. uh, her birthday is coming up. Uh, this I, week. I, I did want to mention Elizabeth Carter. She was episode 159 of the A. Go ahead. Yay! Um, Valina Brown, uh, the partner of Michael Sullivan, Michael Gene Sullivan. They are major folks in the mime troupe. They've also done plenty of other things in Bay Area theater. She's an amazing singer. And she also has a business to help you do the business of theater. Uh, her birthday is this week. Uh, Jess Thomas is somebody I met through uh, Shots SF. We had Melissa Haynes on. I wish we could have Christian on because he helped to create Shots and he could talk more about it, but Jess is one of their many talented folks who writes, directs, acts. Uh, Steve Budd is somebody I feel like I've seen around forever. And then finally, like a year or so ago, he got to do a playground. And I went, dude, I feel like I've seen you forever. And he's like, nope, we've never seen each other before. Uh, David Glover's um, an older gent here in Oakland who has been involved in all kinds of different theater projects and actually hired me a couple of years ago to direct his solo piece. So his birthday is coming up this week. Christina Casey, when I was producing, when Oakland Public, Public Theater first started doing shows, Christina was one of the young actresses at the time who came out uh, for one of our pieces. And she's now a mother of two. I think she just had another child. It might've been more than a year ago now, but she's happily raising folk, new folk. Uh, Tina Marie Murray is somebody who I'm pretty sure we've never worked together, or maybe once we kind of almost crossed paths, but we kept seeing each other. Um, her birthday is this week. Terrence Tyree Ivory. When I first saw, first saw him, it was with the African-American Shakespeare Company, um, and he was amazing. And then he went away to graduate school and became even more amazing. And so now he produces up in the North Bay. Um, couple more. Dawn Troop. His birthday is coming up next week, the end of the week. Uh, she um, is somebody I've known for a long time. There used to be the Willows Theater. They did musicals in Concord way back in the day. Oh, the I Willows. used to work for the Willows Theater way back in the day. Hey, I, I, I got to I, do I, a few shows there. Yeah, the, they did Texas Chainsaw, and I was supposed to stage manage for them, but <clears throat> I did the, uh, the shucks. It was the, um, what is it, uh, the, uh, the French. They did the fringe and I was supposed to wear Willows. Never mind. Go ahead. Uh, well, no, no, no. Yeah. So uh, that's where I first met Don. And then uh, we got to do uh, Death of a Salesman a few years ago. And then just last summer, I uh, got to pull her in when we did a Jeannie Baroga play, Maddie May. So, um, and she keeps bouncing back and forth 
to New York. So she's really trying to take that next step, which is fantastic. And then the last one I have is Ben Fisher, playwright who is starting to make a name for himself around the country. Uh, but I know Ben because I was teaching at Nueva, the private school I teach at. And Ben suddenly showed up as a theater artist. And he's like, well, yeah, no, I, I've taken your class. <laughs> he had grown up. I'm like, oh, that was the first time I encountered somebody like that. And I was like, oh, you're making me feel old because you were a seventh grader. And now you're a grown ass man out in the world. So those are the birthdays I have this week. Those All are my right. My, my list is uh, small. Uh, George Coker, uh, he is a, a model and an actor. Uh, he and I, we, uh, I think was Stories High, the very first Stories High in 2011 at Bendelstiff. Uh, happy birthday, George. His birthday is May the 1st. Uh, Emily Alvarado, I've never met her, but she's on my um, Facebook feed and uh, she's apparently an actress. Oh. Um, Debbie Carragher, uh, Debbie Lynn Carragher. Yeah. And of I course, uh, she, <laughs> she is a uh, an old East Ender of mine, and uh, we also had a. Um, I would love to redo the podcast again. It's a Christian podcast called "You Got to Have Faith," and she was oh, a co-host yeah. of mine. Uh, yeah, you know, when Craig left, Craig left to. Uh, there's so many right. artists who are leaving, um, leaving the Bay Area, and so when yep. Craig Dickinson left, that sort of unplugged that. But in any case, her birthday is on the fourth. I just saw a post from her. She's. I think she was a little under the weather, but now she's ready to go on vacation, especially now that COVID. Things are opening up. So happy birthday, Deb. Um, and two others, uh, Randy Blair. I remember working with him. Linda Ayers Frederick, uh, many, many people know her as a, the, uh, the owner Theater, of the Phoenix yeah. Theater, but she's also a writer. And she's written a couple of uh, one act plays. And one of them uh, had Randy Blair as an actor, Blizzard. And um, he had he had a, an amazing presence. And so I remember him. Yeah. Um, Randy Blair, happy birthday. And he would have been um, it would have been his birthday, May the 6th. Uh, my teacher uh, and mentor, Donald Lease, he passed away earlier this year. And I remember talking about him and the impact that he had on my life. Um, he taught at Duke Ellington School of the Arts. And so uh, he is really, really missed. And that's it. Uh, shows. Uh so uh, have we had Tony on? I thought we did. Tony Alderondo? No, not yet. Oh, we should have him. Tony is a wonderful actor, performer, and he is a poet. And uh, he does a lot of open mic stuff. So he's got a poetry show coming up on Sunday at 5 p.m. So I put the link in the chat for you. It's not a link. It's a Zoom thing. I, I, I don't I really copied and pasted how it. it works. Yeah, hmm? I copied and pasted it. Great. And then uh, the other one, of course, is Neighborhood Stories, which isn't coming up for a couple of weeks, but it'll be coming to the, it was in Marin, it was in Mill Valley, and now it will be in El Cerrito, uh, May 15th. And it includes a piece by Anne Yumi Kabari. Ah, who was our last guest. Well, the guest before last, 192. Yeah, guest before last. Yeah. And of course, Neighborhood Stories was uh, created by Aaron Merritt. Aaron Merritt, 191. Yep. I'm blind. Uh, yes. So <laughs> I have a couple of things I want to uh, promote. Stories High 2021 workshop. I've talked about it uh, earlier in this episode. Um, Conrad Paganabon, he's teaching directing, but that is sold out. That's how popular he is. Um, but uh, the acting um, you is get on the waiting list. Yeah, yeah. The acting is taught by Rena Beth Apostle uh, from April the 26th, which was a couple oh, of days nice. ago to RV. June the 14th. Oh, you know her. You know, her? Arby? Yeah. Oh, she's she's 
Wow. She's incredible. Yeah, we got to get her on. And uh, directing by uh, Li Ling Ao is teaching directing. Of course, she we had her on in episode 189. Uh -huh. She's teaching from May the 6th to June the 24th. So we have the link. So if you want to learn uh, directing and I'm, I'm sorry, it was Conrad is teaching playwriting. So uh, playwriting, acting, right. directing. That makes more sense. Yes, it does. All right. Um, also, Occupant uh, by Edward Albee. Uh, directed by Leticia Duarte. I had no idea oh, that she was a director. Where? Uh, you know, there it's it's. I think it's an outside performance. Um, you huh. have to. There's not even a uh, um a web page, but uh, okay. you have to email Edward Alby Occupant at gmail.com. We'll have the link. Uh, May the twenty second, twenty third, and then 29th and thirtieth. So that's two okay. weekends. Um, yeah. I want to push that. Uh, Theater First is doing more than grapes exploring the lead up to the Delano grape strike through the legacies of Sheja Chavez, Dolores Huerta, and Larry Itlong. Uh, Jeffrey Lowe is part of the project. Um, theater first, we'll have a click thing for that. And mm -hmm. Fire Monologues, I think we've been promoting that. Um, and that continues, is, yeah. Yeah, which is uh, headed up by or created by uh, Case Cassidy, Jamal Cassidy Brown, right? Brown, yes. Yeah. Cassidy Jamal Brown. <laughs> and the very last thing I want to push is uh, Lock by Diwa. Um, we had Paulo Salazar, and he and oh, I want right. to promote what he's doing. Uh, yeah. He's doing chalk work around Jesse Square, May the first through the twelfth at five p.m. So we want to promote that. That is that. Uh, Liz, did you have anything that you wanted to uh, promote, or do you have a website of, of your own? You know, um, I surprisingly do not have a website. <laughs> I think. I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's but, okay. Well, I mean, you're on Facebook yeah. or whatever. Yeah, um, I am on Facebook. I, uh, you know, I have an Instagram and stuff like that. But yeah, and I don't have any um, shows coming up as of yet. Uh, yeah. Do right you have now. anything? Do you have anything on YouTube? I mean, or let's say on Spotify or anything that some people can hear that amazing voice of yours? Um, I think I believe there's performances of Dogfight on YouTube. I know there's uh, clips of Lizzie. Um, yeah, there should be a few things up on there. Um, but yeah, I've, I've yet to make a webpage, so I definitely should do that. Um, on who sooner. was Dogfight? Now you got me curious. So what Dog, is Dog Dogfight's this musical. Um, it was originally a movie, um, with, uh, was it River Phoenix? And, oh, okay. um, Oh, I forget the actress's name, but it's great. Um, basically a dog fight back in, uh, back in times of war before guys were sent off to go fight uh, wherever they were staying the night before, they would do dog fights, put money in a pile and try to bring the ugliest girl to the bar. And whoever brought right. the ugliest girl to the bar would win. Um, so this story is basically just, you know, uh, more of a surprise for the character who's bringing his quote unquote ugly girl to the bar and discovering right. about himself and her and, and stuff like that. So it's actually a really lovely, a loving, beautiful growth story uh -huh. uh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. Based yeah. on a 1991 coming of age film, I just uh, pulled it up. Uh, River Phoenix and Lily Taylor. Oh, you played the Lily Taylor. There we oh. go. But I couldn't remember. Yeah, she's great. Absolutely. I mean, they're both beautiful in the movie, but she's mm -hmm. great. Um, so yeah, that's definitely a good one. But yeah, nothing, nothing coming up, but I can't wait. I can't tell you how excited I am to see a show once I can sit in a theater and watch a show. I'm just so uh, on stage. I just can't wait to see some art. I'm very, very excited. Yeah, me too. Uh, Liz, did you enjoy yourself? I absolutely enjoyed myself. It was such a pleasure. I'm so excited that you invited me. <laughs> Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for uh, for uh, joining us. And I'm glad that we could accommodate, you know, uh, it's a great way to spend Friday evening. Um, 
So in any case, uh, let me, I'll do my little blurb. You can, you uh, for those who are watching us on YouTube, uh, we will do the YouTube when we have the Zoom interviews, um, but we want to sort of get back on doing live interviews. I love just speaking to people face to face, but it's fine. You know, the, uh, the YouTube thing is fine. And if you're watching this on YouTube, please like and subscribe and give us a thumbs up and put some comments in our comment section. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, any questions that you want us to address, we'll deal with that. Uh, if you're listening to this traditionally on a podcast app, then we're on all podcast apps. If you have an iPhone or an iPad, we're on that purple podcast app and you can find us. We're also on Spotify. If you're an Android user, you can use the SoundCloud app or just go on soundcloud.com and you'll find us. The Yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. I'm at Red Space Clay. And I'm at Who's Your Hoosier. Liz, um, where can people find you on Twitter or um, Instagram? She Instagram, said. yeah. Instagram, let me tell you. Um, on Instagram, it is ecurtis1215. That would be me. I am not cool enough to have a Twitter account. Oh. Um, you, <laughs> you can also find me on Facebook, just Elizabeth Curtis. Um, I have Lizzie as my background drop, and I have my, my beautiful face and a mask as my profile picture. Those are my two places you can find me at. There you go. And we'll have those on the links as well. So if you're looking for a fantastic singer and an actress, you can't go wrong with Liz Curtis. So we know we have uh, directors and creatives who listen to this. So there you go. Alrighty, folks. Um, I'm going to let everybody go. Thank you so much. And as Norman and I always say, we got to find, find a, a better, better side off. And we are out. <laughs> <laughs>